You're listening to episode 257 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we take a break from individual episodic television to briefly discuss sci-fi television and the AI search for self. And, and dude, like we were saying before we came on the air, this could be awesome or it could be a train wreck because there's there's a lot to talk about, but you know, there's just so much research to be done. So I I don't know. Are you feeling the same way? Well, like I will admit it's been a long time since I watched Battlestar Galactica and I did not really go back. And I, I I read a little bit about the the show to kind of brush up and remind myself, but I got to a point where like, man, there's like five other shows I have to take notes on. So you know, so, so yeah, but, but for the every show that, especially the ones that I watched recently and had pretty present in my mind, there's a lot to cover on each other. There's a lot to say. Yeah, and there, you know, are obviously individual lines that different characters say and and things that they do that we're probably going to forget about. So. You know, shoot us an email, uh, post on the Facebook group. Let's get a discussion going on this because I'm, I'm sure there are going to be artificial intelligence characters that we don't talk about here that sure. maybe we should have. We just didn't think about. I I added yeah, one. Fred that, brought that one you, up, right? Yeah, and then you and I in the list that we talked about. I I remembered the android from Dark Matter, right? Yeah. So yeah. we you know bring her up a little bit listen uh, we, we can't cover them all people like it's, we, it's this is gonna be long enough as it is yeah now we're not going to do any tip of the week this week i would just remind you guys that san diego comic-con begins thursday july 19th and and as always i'm sure there's going to be a wealth of content on youtube you know, once once we really get the panels going. And I, I think the panel I'm most looking forward to is the Doctor Who panel with Jodie Whittaker's debut as mm. Doctor Who. Yeah, that's going to be cool. And uh, well, I'm sure there will probably be Jodie Whittaker, right? Right. And I'm sure there will not be one person doing cosplay as her Doctor Who. I'm no, right. not, not definitely no people. Okay. No one at all would so, do that one, no. All right. Well, listen, we got a lot to talk about here. And and I want to start with something that Dolores Abernathy says in Westworld. There is beauty in what we are. Right. And obviously, one of the things that, you know, we're talking about here is is this self-awareness that forces us to consider the question, are we witnessing a new species? And Isaac Asimov, and I don't know if you ever took a look at that documentary I uh, I think I gave it to you the BBC America documentary on science fiction and in, in the episode about artificial intelligence Isaac Asimov says that as we replace the organic with metal and he's referring to like bionic limbs sure. artificial knees do we reach a point where the organic is now more metal and right it's like that re- old you know adage of you have a boat and over years you replace the sails and you replace the keel and you replace the boards on the outside and everything. At which point is it still the same ship you started with or is it a completely different one? Right. I mean, does that change the way we view the individual? Is right. the, a person no longer 
a person, but now more machine than organic. And, and of course, then that leads to the discussion of, well, what makes a person a person? You know, the, the whole idea of consciousness. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure you kind of looked at, at these same kinds of ideas in, in doing the research for the podcast. But we're talking about consciousness as a state of mental operation an awareness of and control over one's thoughts and actions. And do these AI that we're talking about, do they have that? Well, they seem to, they seem to be aware of what they are. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you open the Westworld door there. So, I mean, certainly that's a big part of the show is like Dolores is she, at least she feels that she's free and making her own decisions. Yet when, um, you know, Bernard uh, meets Ford in the digital world there. Uh, Ford says, well, you know, yeah, I mean, she's doing what she, her own thing, but, you know, she's kind of going where I knew she'd go. So, you know, is she really exercising free will or is she still, even her idea of free will, is that still merely an aspect of her programming? Yeah, and I think a problem that some people have, and I had this discussion with a friend of mine that I would say is more religious than not, certainly more religious than I am, and we were talking about this, and this person kind of took offense when when I contended that these artificial intelligence should perhaps be considered a person, and this and and my friend brought up the concept of the soul, and what is the soul? And so, okay, so I go to some you know research, and, and most religious texts weigh in on the subject, and and I was surprised at what they say because the soul basically is simply a living being. But then, of course, what does it mean to be alive? Right. And the religious texts also talk about beings created in the image of God, but isn't that what we see with Cylons, synths, and hosts? You know? Yeah, and it's you know kind of a nature of the increase in technology that we're experiencing here in the later 20th, early 21st century that we can even imagine such things. And, you know, so Westworld, well, it doesn't seem too far in the future for us, really. In fact, you know, we... We see the characters there, and they look like us. The world they inhabit, kind of what little we've seen of it, seems like ours. And and we accept that because, I mean, let's face it, probably most people think that, well, okay, that's probably something that can happen in the fairly near future. Same with, like, Ex Machina and, you know, and there's just so much out there now because it seems each year that's less and less science fiction, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, to give some context, we're going to sort of talk about all of this in terms of the creator, corporate involvement, original intention, awakening, attempted assimilation, the human reaction to the AI's desire to be considered a person, and then the AI leader. So just going back real briefly, the creator, I mean, arguably Mary Shelley's Victor Frankenstein Mm -hmm. might be the first. And and we could certainly argue that what is the monster in Frankenstein? Certainly it's not the same as 
the synths in humans or the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica, but on the other hand, is it truly human? Right, and and that's the issue that the central core issue of that that book, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of corporate involvement, we've mentioned the play R.U.R. written by Carol Capek in 1921 and Rossum's Universal Robots. And in fact, in I don't know if it was episode 213 in Dollhouse, but one of those yeah. corporate heads even mentions it's Boyd. The, is it Boyd? Right. Yeah. Uh, so certainly we have corporate involvement in humans, Westworld, and, and, and there is you know that that line always hovering in the background but what's usually the original intention for developing an ai more often than not it's to make humans lives easier but of course there's a two-edged sword and as you alluded a few minutes ago it doesn't seem that far off i mean we have artificial intelligence already yeah, I mean, well, we have robots doing jobs. Hey, Google, Alexa. <laughs> yeah. You have something Which, talk back to you, and if you have it set up accordingly, it'll turn your TV on, it'll brew your coffee, it'll turn the lights on for you. I mean, like, this is like you know, the Velt, right? Right, right. Now, perhaps most importantly is the Awakening, which often seems to be accompanied by a rebellion against the Creator that attempt at assimilation, a.k.a. being human, not the uh, right. series. That's great. <laughs> both, both series are awesome, though. Those are two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, but then, of course, the human reaction, because these AI are truly the other, and the frightening part, and, and I guess this comes along with the term uncanny valley, the frightening part is that they seem so much like us and are, you know, how close are we to that, that point? And then it seems like in a lot of these shows, we, we do see the AI who becomes the leader of the group, almost like Moses leading his flock to the promised land. Now, all of these things don't appear in all of the shows we're going to talk about, but, but there mm -hmm. are, yeah, a, a lot of it. Pretty much yes. all of them do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we start talking about Westworld? You've already brought it up, and, and for good reason. And in terms of the corporate involvement, we've got the Delos Incorporated sure. uh, behind everything. And one of the things I'm still a little unclear, what was their motivation? Okay. For, I mean, was it strictly a moneymaker to well, appeal yes. to you know, the baser side of human nature, sex no, and violence? No, 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 no. Because they, the, the park was really a way for people to reveal their basic natures so that they could be recorded. Delos's object was to record every guest's consciousness and, and everything. And I assume then, say, hey... If you want to live forever, we've got you basically stored here at Delos, and we can put you inside a host body that'll never die, and boom, instant immortality. But uh, you know, but as we've seen so far, it, they haven't been able to, to work that yet. But I, it appears that that is Delos's 
eventual that that was why the James Dallas why he bought the park and and uh, it seems to be their what their plan was and why you know they were so adamant about saving intellectual property of Westworld rather than saving actual people okay so it becomes really I, I guess the goal for these ultra wealthy people because they're they're the only people that are able to afford the park sure. that hey by the way if you want to live forever we can we can do that for you as well right so okay so is is it fair to say the creators are uh, ford and arnold yeah absolutely okay okay now even though arnold dies and and again we're, we don't want to get into this you know, discussion of all the little details of Westworld. And we, we, you know, if you watch the show, you know, uh, you know, Arnold. I mean, there were some issues that that uh, there was a reason that Ford created the host Arnold and, and programmed him with all these but engineering he didn't skills. Though. Dolores well, created Bernard, right? Oh, right. Of course. Um, and he he gave her the task, but uh, she's the one who did it. Right. So. The hosts are these lifelike androids programmed to engage in preconceived narrative loops. Now, now these these are the 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 hosts at the uh, entertainment park. But obviously what happens is some hosts begin straying from the script and and none more so than, as you mentioned, Dolores. And and she is the key. Well, right. But and that's one of the things that that, you know, we'll talk about because. On the one hand, Dolores does seem to be the central figure that's gaining consciousness. But we saw in season one, certainly Maeve ha- has gained it. And, and she's just a heartbeat away from going out into the real world, right? Yep. Yeah. And, right. and we, in season two, you know, again, though Ford is dead, he has an alarming number of lines in season two. Uh, mm-hmm. But... He tells Maeve that uh, he wanted her to go, that she kind of screwed up by coming back. But he was oppressed because she came back because of a very human reason to sit to find her daughter. Right. Which her daughter is also a machine, if you will. Yeah. A host. But that doesn't make it any less real. And, and therein lies part of the problem, you know, for a lot of people when they consider this question. But Dolores is really one of the first that we see undergoing this awakening. She, certainly in contrast to Maeve, has this desire, again, and tell me if I'm misreading something, to eliminate the human race. She says all men must die. Yeah, Dolores, and, and that's what Bernard, you know, is basically is sets himself up in opposition to her. You know, like I know what you want to do. You want to kill all the people and take their world, right? And I mean, even as early as episode one hundred and five, she tells William that she no longer wants to be the damsel in distress, indicating an awareness of what she has been to this point. And, and certainly we're introduced early on in, in that loop where she keeps coming back to the family farm and her father's on the porch. And yeah, the little thing with the uh, picture that, that has a modern scene in it, but you know, the fact that she is aware and 
tells him she's going to rewrite her own story, in fact. Right. right. Which, which she does. Which she does. And then it goes back to, you mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea of free will. And does a machine have free will? Or is it, can it be argued that it's all part of the machine's programming? I don't know. It doesn't seem to be in this case. Yeah, and it's really tough to tell in Westworld because, well, in Westworld, obviously, is a show that prides itself on keeping its audience guessing. Like, even now, when season two is in the book, I think I've seen the season two finale four times now, and I still have questions. Like, you know, and I I don't think... I, I think that's part of what the show wants. It, it wants us kind of confused because it plays with uh, time. Like, you know, we see two scenes right next to each other, which we would assume is happening at the same time. But as we saw in season one, sorry, people, spoiler alerts. Um, I guess we should have said that earlier. Where we find out that, you know, young William is the man in black, which a lot of people figured out way earlier than I did. But. Still, by by putting those scenes right next to each other, we assume that the man in black and William are in the park at the same time. But when in reality, it's, you know, I think 30, 40 years apart from each other. So um, the show really plays with that. And and so we really don't know. And and it it kind of reinforces a lot of what we talk about is what is real? What is human? What is real? What is, you know, what, what does it mean to be alive? I mean, these are essential questions that, um, that Westworld is constantly asking us. Yeah, and I love the parallel that we can make with Echo in Dollhouse because Dolores has essentially been merged with a violent host named Wyatt. And I guess we could argue that it's Wyatt that's responsible for the voices in her head and, and seems to guide her actions. And I always go back to that that line her father says from Shakespeare, these violent delights have violent ends. And I mean, we could certainly discuss the meaning of that, but that's really, you know, we are here to talk about artificial intelligence, but that merging of personalities that we certainly accepted within the context of dollhouse and echo, it certainly can be argued. And we're going to talk about echo in a, in a little bit. It can certainly be argued that echo is the amalgamation of all those different personalities that programming if you will yeah absolutely so now um was dolores programmed to ultimately change i mean when you get to a show like humans which obviously is on the docket for tonight you could make that argument that well there the reason she is changing is because she was programmed to, you know, when point A happens, then you'll react this way. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, Ford himself tells us that, or, you know, told Bernard, I believe, that, you know, he kind of led Dolores down a path, but she made her own decisions he was pretty sure the decisions she was going to make, but she was making them herself. So that sounds more like instead of her following her programming, she's just being manipulated, which yeah, any mean, she said, person could be. Well, she says, I feel spaces opening up inside me like doors to rooms I've never explored. 
And as you just said, now she's got a choice. Right. Open this door, open that door, open this door, go into it. Now what do I do? Does she make a conscious choice to shoot Ford at the end of season one? I mean, is that something he programmed her to do? I was a little fuzzy on that. Well, no. It, I mean, he basically, like I said, he, he said, I was pretty sure that's what she would end up doing, but she made that choice herself. But, you know, you mentioned the doors, and certainly doors are, are very important. There's the door to the Valley Beyond, um, you know, there seems, you know, there's like these metaphorical doors that they've passed through that, that Bernard and Dolores and someone else have, you know, there's at least three hosts out in the real world now. And, you know, and they actually exit that door of the laboratory in that uh, last scene of season two. So, you know, it's this idea of passing from from one reality to the next. And, and certainly Dolores and Bernard and whoever is in Charlotte Hale's body um, have moved beyond the door that kept them in Westworld. And, and now they're out in the actual world. So it's kind of, that's going to be wild. I'm, I'm looking forward to season three. I'm going to have to wait forever for it, but I can't wait for it. <laughs> okay. Now I'm, I'm going to go on record as saying now that you're not going to need to uh, prod me to watch it next next time right. except i'll probably the same thing will happen again and you'll say the same <laughs> thing and we'll go through the we'll, we'll get into our little loop there right um, right it's exactly maybe we've been programmed to do this you know like. ex- yes all <laughs> right now we mentioned mave and, and as i said she has the chance to escape the park and blend into the outside world at the end of season one but then doesn't take that step and returns to the park, but it's all about the search for her daughter. The cool thing here is they know what they are, but that doesn't make them any less human or does it? I I think you and I kind of agree. Okay. Maybe it's not fair to call them human, but they are conscious entities, right? Does that make them less? So, I mean, when we eventually encounter alien life forms from other galaxies because they're not human do we say they're not alive do we say of, of course not it's this whole idea that we're going to keep coming back to and coming back to is this idea of uh, of what is like the soul right and fred's going to talk about that with with data as this essential question what the uh, the the judge or the captain in in that episode of, of star trek said basically is that, well, I don't know if there is a soul or even if there such a thing exists, but, uh, you know, you should have the freedom to be able to pursue whatever it is. Um, and so I think that kind of boils it down to, like, you know, whether you say the host is just a machine and just parts. And, and honestly, the, the host in Westworld are – no longer made of machine parts they're made of organic things and um so you know how really different are they from from humans at all is is kind of like the the central question there so yeah i totally lost my strength my train of thought well well well, but but as you said (laughs) at the end of season two that attempt at assimilation being human making it in the real world if you will seems to be where we're headed because in terms of how 
human beings have perceived hosts to this point, well, they're just considered disposable by the human customers. But since they're not out in the real world, we don't have that kind of an issue like we have in humans that that we'll talk about in in a few minutes. Right. And and we see like this violent kind of reaction of, of the humans, but obviously the the host's uprising was a very violent thing in and of itself. It seems like there's just the three hosts now that are in the world, and certainly Dolores's goal is not assimilation. Bernard's kind of seems like it it might be, or at least he's not down with killing all the humans. So it's just really, I, I mean, the show is just a very fascinating place, I think. Um, and they can really go, like, I mean, they've just kind of like, you know, like how long could you really stay in the park really is, you know, and so they, now they're out of the park and now we're going to see really this interaction of, of humans and, and hosts. And, and like you said, the hosts are no longer these throwaway, you know, like dolls or tissue, almost like, like a tissue, like people, you know, the, the people would come there and shoot them for no reason at all, just for the hell of it. Just right. Not, but it's a host, right? Who cares? Well, right, but at this point, though, they're not all aware, right? They all haven't awoken. I mean, we certainly know the core group has. So, right, but yeah, you know, the the question is. So we're we're left with, um, so a bunch of the hosts went through to the valley beyond, right? Right, and they're they're done. They they actually Dolores uh, put them in some place in in cyberspace where no one can get to them. There's a bunch that died before they reached, quote-unquote died before they reached the Valley Beyond, which means that their consciousness is still inside their little... I'm going to borrow a, a term from Josh and Joe on the, uh, the post-show recaps Westworld podcast. They call it the brain ball. Um, and so, you know, so the, there's, this, there's a bunch of hosts there, but they're still in the park. And then there's those three of Dolores... Maybe someone, uh, a host in Dolores's body, a host in the body that resembles the now deceased Charlotte Hale, and now the remade uh, Bernard, because Dolores shot him back in Westworld and grabbed his brain ball and took it out into the real world and then created a new Bernard body. So those three are definitely aware and awake and in the real world. But they seem to be maybe the only three that are. Right. Of course, we have no idea because really, as we found out at the end of season two, freaking anyone could be a host. So who knows how many of them are out there, right? Exactly. So why don't we touch on Dollhouse just just for a couple minutes. Yes, we talked about the one show for a half hour. Yeah, (laughs) but rightly so because it, like humans, really is, uh, I, I think, Right. So important in that motive, uh, in that realm. But the Rossum Corporation, their motivation for wiping people worldwide still seems a little fuzzy to me because why start over when you're already in control? But that aside, obviously what they're doing here is a bit different than what's going on in Westworld because they're starting with the organic they're starting with flesh and blood human beings, but then they're altering them with uh, obviously with new consciousness. And, and as we've said many times, Echo 
is a byproduct of all of you know this uh, right. programming. It is artificial intelligence that they're putting into them. They're computer programs. It's it's not like they're pulling one person's brain out of one person's body and sticking it into another person's. They are mapping a person's brain, turning it into code, and you know using it to remap another person's brain. So it's it's a completely artificial process. So when we call the dolls, artificial intelligence, I think that's exactly what they are. I mean, we never really talked about that in all the discussions we had about Dollhouse, but but certainly that's that's exactly what they are, right? Right. And, and I mean, we do have four, Echo, Alpha, Sierra, and Victor, who understand what it is they've become. Are, they make the choice to stay that way. Right at the end, yep. rather than than going through the process, which would return their original personality, and and obviously there are a lot of reasons for that, but but they have. But become I think Alpha aware. was going to become Alpha was going to get reset. Was that? Oh, right. Okay, but because but, he left. Yeah, right. That's true. So, right, well, why don't we move on to humans? Because like Westworld, it, it, it's. I think the most important show that explores this and the creator, David Elster was fascinated with discovering what makes a human. And he, he feels that he did hides it in the base code of a, of a select number of synths that he creates. So like hosts in Westworld, they're, they're referred to as synths in, in humans. And they're created and produced ostensibly to make the lives of everyday people easier. And, and right. we well, see it's got no. Go just, while the hosts are there for entertainment, but yeah, like like you said, they're they're for the the pleasure of human beings, right? The, the hosts in Westworld are there to be sexually misused, to be violently abused. The synths in uh, humans maybe not as violently, but still are at the same way there for the pleasure of humans to make human lives easier. Right. And when the series begins and, you know, Mia, I believe is the first one we're introduced to. It's like, she's the family maid or, uh, you know, live in servant or whatever that takes care of all the mundane tasks, including watching the children but as we quickly learn if you punch in a certain secret code she also then can be a sex doll which uh i can't what's the husband's name joe Uh, Joe hawkins yeah and 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 certainly that's what leads to very low moment for joe he's definitely redeeming himself this season but uh, it's it's hard to forget what he did way back when right but Along with that, David Elster builds a core group of conscious synths as companions for his son, Leo. Is it more than that? Well, it seems to be. I mean, we're introduced to Max, who's Leo's brother, Uh, Fred, who's no longer with us, but he was also built to be a brother, Niska, built to be his sister, Mia was built to be Leo's babysitter. And then there's Leo himself that we learn 
is actually a human synth hybrid. Right. And then that line, we are what's next. And I believe it's yeah. Niska that says that. It, it definitely uh, sounds like something she would say. Right. That Or, or maybe step, Agnes might have said that. But either one, like some of the right. angry fringe. Right. The next step of human evolution, if you will. And, and of course, Leo is a human synth hybrid. Well, not anymore. Well, yeah. Well, that and and you know even that I we could debate that because he still has machine parts in him. I mean, they haven't been removed. Uh, whether or not I they're thought they did take out the machine ha, parts. Ha, did they take it out? I okay. think that was that was the deal. Yeah. Okay, but what David Elster's original intention? I mean, was it just a case of? trying to play God to see if I can do this. Can I create life? Uh, we don't really get a, you know, definitive answer to that. Yeah. But it, I, it absolutely seems like that was it. And, and honestly, that seems like that was Ford and Arnold's original motivation in Westworld as well. And, and can I do it? Like, exactly. Can I do it? You know, here back to Victor Frankenstein, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and of course, then there's the added thing in there that you know Leo is as he is because his mother committed suicide by driving her car off a cliff with him in the car. So he died, but his dad brought him back as this synth human hybrid. You know, and then right. he rebuilt his mom. Yeah. So yeah. like, uh, did, are you caught up with humans? Oh yeah. Okay, so like in the last episode, we because Karen was his mom, right? Yes. And you know when he learns of her, you know, quote unquote death, um, he's he's like, well, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's basically like, yeah, we had a pretty complicated kind of relationship, you know. Um, so, but but what there is there though is that the the sense in humans definitely have emotions and the ability to connect to one another. And, uh, you know, we we're seeing now the, the ability to betray one another. So they, they have, you know, like I think as far as recreating what it means to be human, I think Elster kind of nailed it. Well, yeah. And I think early on you mentioned you know, the, the feelings that the synths have, as I said, Mia is one of the first that we're really introduced to. And that scene when Joe programs her so that he can have sex with her. I mean, it's just devastating for the viewer because we yeah. feel horrible for her that many people would just see simply as a machine. But she's so much more than that, even that early in the series when yeah. she really uh, yeah. hasn't become aware yeah absolutely and it's it really speaks to the the writers and the people who make the show that in watching that and saying like hey joe yeah you got to have sex with a hot chick we're horrified you know we're just absolutely mortified because we the viewers see mia not as a robot but as a person and so we're like oh he's freaking raping her man like yes and honestly it's like like even like they're like I said the, the 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 showrunners are working hard to redeem Joe and make him out to be a good guy, but it is still tough to to see him and to you know it's 
it's thinking for Laura too. You know, he's done a lot of good since then, but really, it's tough to to get over that that thing he did. It was so bad, and it's such like like you said, such a horrifying scene to watch. Right, and you know, once Mia becomes aware of what she is and wants to determine for herself what's going to happen to her, you know, she leaves and, and you remember that encounter she has with her human boss when she's working in that little diner. Yep. And who the dude just came back for her too. Right. Right. And look at what she does. Look at her reaction because he comes back because he really screwed her over. I mean, he really hurt her and, and it did hurt her. And he comes back and she tells him to F off. And well, then what's she more, f- him. Well, well, yeah, but then, and, and again, I mean, if we were covering this show, we might look into, you know, why it is she does that. But, well, well he, I mean, I guess it is relevant. I mean, he comes back to try to make amends. She has sex with him. And then when he thinks that, okay, maybe we can pick up where we left off, she tells him, no we're done get out of here you you hurt me and that's a very human reaction to that sort of a situation well sure and you know i I don't know if she if she had sex with him just uh to you know tell him that you know beat it i think really maybe it would be she's looking for some kind of i mean she's feeling terrible and vulnerable and she's living in, in this apartment and Every time she walks out, people throw stuff at her and spit at her and call her names and everything. So, like, just for someone to come and be kind to her, for her just to feel that, I'm, I'm going to say that human connection, right? Uh, exactly. That she and, really and to needed see, that. Right. And to see, baby, is there anything there? Do I still feel something for him? And my contention is that she realizes, I really don't. He hurt me that badly that... I mean, I agree with everything you said about some human connection, and I believe that's part of it. But you mentioned the apartment she's living in, and she's doing that because she does want to assimilate into human culture, and it's very difficult. Right. And and, and I think also she feels there, and just kind of tie back with her, like, chucking that guy, is, is the fact that what I'm doing here is is really important. And it seems like she, you know, if she had her preference, she would want to go back to that place on the shore. And, you know, it was a restaurant he had, right? Yeah. Like work in the restaurant and live by the the sea and everything and live this kind of idyllic life. But she realizes that what she's doing here and, and her sacrifice is important for, you know, the, the, the overall synth cause. Right. And if you look at the drawings that she's doing, it's those kinds of scenes so that that past still has an impact on her. Sure. I mean, that, that's that's not a machine. That's a person. No, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Niska is certainly one of the angrier synths that, that she really resents, maybe not as much as, uh, what's her name, Alice? Agnes? Agnes, I'm sorry. Um, Maybe not as much as Agnes, but Niska, once she was on her own and had 
you know, the awareness of who and what she is, falls in love with a human woman who, when she's injured in that terrorist blast, now sets off to find the synth who is responsible. So, again, it's this uh, making this connection with another human being. And this is a human being. We talk about the reaction of humans to these conscience conscious sense and of course the woman she falls in love with falls in love with her and okay i know what you are i don't care to me you're a person yeah absolutely and and niska is to me probably the most fascinating character in humans because she is like militant especially at first right she's the more militant of them like you know, let's get out there and, you know, we have, let's claim our rights and everything. Uh, but now not, I mean, she still is like militant as in hardcore, as in devoted to what she wants to do. Um, whereas Agnes though is militant as in, I hate humans. We can take them. Let's go take out the humans, you know? Um, yeah, and she also is. Uh, pro- I, I think maybe the second most fascinating character, especially oh, man, those green eyes. She's so beautiful. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, and then we find out her backstory of you know she was a, a doll for a, a magic show that got locked up in the case, and and when she came to her consciousness, she was still in the case, and she asked the guy to open it up, and he just rolls on her. And so she obviously has this tremendous fear of the dark and of, and she's extremely claustrophobic. And so when, you know, Max, when the, the, was it the Dayton, Dryden, Dryden, Dayton, the commission, the Dryden commission shows up, he, you know, locks her up. Like people are always kind of like, you know, crapping all over Agnes and she's pissed about that. And so you know, so both Niska and Agnes are, are are very militant, and that's like kind of also one thing we see about with the um, artificial intelligences is that we see these this factioning of the cause, right? We see like Bernard and Maeve and Dolores all have different ways of what they think how we should proceed now that we're awake. Um, certainly, uh, Echo has uh, different ideas than Sierra, for example. And dollhouse and here you got you know max is one belief niska has another agnes has another and uh mia has another right, right. so all these different people have different ways that they think and and you know so there's this factioning of the intelligences right they're kind of gr- splitting up into groups right now now obviously the difference between humans and westworld is that Joe and Laura Hawkins' daughter, Maddie, who's the computer wizard and, you know, relationship with uh, Leo Elster at this point. But she releases the code that, you know, again, uh, magically (laughs) gives every synth consciousness so that once that happens and the company realizes that. So now, you know, in in season uh, two, no, what are we in? Season Three. three? Three, uh, you know, we've got the green eyes who are the original and now conscience, the original and now conscious sense. And then, of course, the orange eyes, which are back to being the servile uh, 
machines that do people's uh, bidding. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a whole other area of discussion. But, uh, you know, mentioning Max, who's kind of the de facto leader trying to keep the group together. But what's so human about him is that we, we look at him and while we feel bad on the one hand that Agnes challenges every decision that he makes, he doesn't really make any decisions. And he finally admits he doesn't have a real plan for successful integration, say the way Mia does, which is move into the human neighborhood and let them see I'm not a threat. Niska, in her own way, wants to find the synth responsible for the explosion and so that this kind of thing can't happen again. But in terms of human and how they react, obviously we see Laura Hawkins, which on the one hand, her husband had sex with their synth. And while it destroys their marriage, understandably, she still works for synths and synth rights. And, you know, you mentioned Dryden Commission. And uh, obviously she's in the minority, but the way her family and, and look, obviously kids in general, if they turn out well, it's because they had good parents. And in this case, when you look at the Hawkins children and the way they have reacted to since, you know, obviously they, they see something in their parents, even though they know what their father did and he's on his little redemption tour. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Sophie knows her. She might be a little young. Well, she might be a little young, but, but she certainly understands what's going on. Maybe she doesn't know what, what her dad did. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, you know, while we're on the topic of Maddie, I just wanted to say, like, how could she not know that that lady was not on the level? You know, like, you just released, you know, you basically informed the world that the code was created in London. So, you know, people are looking for the person who made the code in London. So, some random girl just comes up to you and starts being your friend and needs you to help with all her computer stuff. Like, really? Like, come yeah. on. Like, I, I was just, I, I was, I was just slapping my face the whole time with her but but you know anyway as you said like so the the hawkins kids are are definitely the minority right because the vast majority of people are very violently reacting to the the consciousness of the sense um as we saw with karen getting beaten to death flash getting beaten to death you know just it's just oh well like mia how you know the people's reaction to mia so you know that you know we just saw like all the people who killed karen they you know if if she hadn't thought quickly they would have gone after sam like the kid you know he's the one who fell and he had the blue blood and so the people are freaking out and in order to save sam karen wipes the blood on herself says hey it's me and she pays you know dearly for that so i mean the the humans are just awful right well, I guess well they are good i was just gonna say and then you if you think back to the dilemma that karen w- was facing uh, about being a real mother means putting yourself before your child and because she's this complex expensive machine at the beginning she feels she's unable to do it but then when placed in that situation 
she does exactly what you said. She sacrifices herself so her son, if you will, Sam, can be saved. Right, which directly contravenes her program because we saw before yes. when Sam ran out in traffic, she froze. Like she literally couldn't move. So something happened there where she was able to overcome that programming and completely sacrifice herself for Sam. And that was, I mean, it, it, you, you hate to, because especially since Karen and I'm not saying that, you know, she was going to get into it with Joe, but, you know, Joe is bringing out the more human side of Karen that we saw originally when we thought she was just a regular human cop uh, when the show first started. But, uh, you know, but that that was an amazing uh, jump there. And, and like I said, like, that's that's a human thing. Like, if, if uh, that's not a machine, she overcame the directives that her machine parts would have told her to do. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, let's move on quickly to Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, because it's an important show in, in terms of the discussion, but I think the topic we're talking about here would have probably been explored had there been a season three. And as we talked about, you know, when we talked about this show in the past, even season one got cut short because of the writer's strike. Yeah. But, but we're talking about the character Cameron, who is a TOK 715 cyborg. Who's the actress that played her again? God, I can never remember. Um, Like a spring something winter or something go ahead you can say it it's summer glow i believe it was yes there we go <laughs> so she's sent back in time to protect john connor and ultimately the resistance movement in the future uh prevent the machines from taking over i i think at this point everybody knows the the terminator story sure. but it within the show itself her development is kind of uneven in that at times she acts less human Uh, There's a time jump in there, and and that does seem to impact her a little bit. But some of the things she does exhibit, number one that that got my attention right away was the jealousy of John's girlfriend, Riley, Mm -hmm. if if you recall that. Oh, I remember Riley, sure. Yeah, and I'm sure that the concept of jealousy was not programmed into her. It was something that she learned something that she developed as she was with uh john and sarah well yeah well even before she was with john and sarah she was with just john right because in the future we learned that you know he had you know at some point wouldn't consult with anyone else except for cameron right so that she became his most trusted advisor and confidant and then of course she's the one who gets sent back so um, uh, yeah, and the other scene that, that really has stayed with me from Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles is that ballet scene in her bedroom where it's just her alone dancing. And, you know, if you know anything about Summer Glau, she was a trained uh, ballerina. So I guess on the one hand, it was a chance to let her show off those skills. But to me, it indicates that she's growing as a person because she seems to be pleased with what she's doing. And again, I find it difficult to believe that's something that was programmed into her, that concept of being pleased with doing something well. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly the, 
the awkward relationship between John and Cameron that, you know, obviously she is supposed to be his sister. Obviously, he has, you know, feelings for her. He's a teenage boy. She's gorgeous. It's going to happen. And so that that kind of runs throughout the series, you know, that that uh, of of their relationship and, you know, and kind of following Cameron as she tries, not to say tries to become more and more human, but, you know, ultimately becomes more and more human in, in her behaviors. Though, like you said, it is. What's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's, uh, well, it's cut short. I mean, right. Right. That's what you're. But but and it's I mean, also look, it's not like like one episode she'll be seen like she's like super like really really human and then other times she's like oh she's back to kind of being a little bit more robotic now and everything like it, it wasn't like totally consistent with that I don't think right and as you mentioned certainly John is attracted to her I mean he knows she's not his sister that's you know that's part of their cover he certainly understands that but he does know what it is that she is and yet he's still attracted to her and. I think you could argue that she is developing feelings for him as well. But the interesting thing is also with the mom, Sarah Connor, I mean, she's resigned to needing Cameron's help, but sees her as a tool, not as a person. And on the one hand, she's being a mother because it's got to be going on in her head. She knows she has a teenage son. She sees the attraction and she has to stop it. Or right. does she? I mean, she does, or she attempts to, but... Yeah. Well, you know. if, if we're in Game of Thrones, and she would just, you know, like, have her head cut off or something. <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but um, yeah, you know, absolutely, Sarah is, is definitely aware, because Sarah is way less trusting of the tech that, than John is, right? Like, John is, is willing to work with the Terminator, and Sarah It's just that at no point is she really 100% comfortable with that. Well... I guess what I would argue is that part of her uncomfortableness is that she's afraid Cameron is becoming human while she's still a machine, you know, going back to the Isaac Asimov thing, the organic versus the metal, that even though she is metal, she is becoming human. And I think that's what frightens the hell out of her. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely, because, well, of course, in Sarah's mind, that makes the machine all that more dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to Battlestar Galactica, because you mentioned in one of our early discussions that shouldn't we talk about Caprica? And yes, of course, because that's the genesis for the Cylon, because we see Daniel Greystone and Zoe Greystone as as the creators of the Centurions, which are you know the the metal monsters, if you will. Uh, certainly, they don't appear human at all. They are the ultimate machine. Yeah, but in and, the end, he he like creates like like Zoe, right? Like, is she put right? Is she in one of the? Is that like the last scene he puts her in one of those centurions? I, I believe is, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That again, but, another yeah, show I need to rewatch. But. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but it's still the same idea of of what we see. You know, we saw with Ford and Arnold. We saw with David Elster. Uh, we see the Rossum Corporation. And see with Cyberdyne um, is the humans pursuing technology or scientific pursuit uh 
for its own end without consideration of the consequences is almost inevitably the start of every AI kind of human conflict, right? And, and uh, of course, uh, with, with Greystone here, um, he's devastated by the death of his daughter. And so he wants to bring her back somehow. And his attempts to bring his daughter back to life ultimately is going to doom everyone because he creates the Cylons. Right. And uh, go back to the playing God, if you will, which is interesting in the Battlestar Galactica sphere because the Cylons, as we learn in Battlestar Galactica, they have a monotheistic belief system while the humans have evolved or devolved to a polytheistic belief system, which is interesting. But, you know, not unlike Dolores in Westworld, the Cylons appear intent on wiping out the human race. And again, it's it's been a while since I've seen it, as, as you mentioned at the beginning of the discussion. Is it because they see the human race as inferior and and just are in our way or or what? I, I, I can't really remember. I can't remember. Yeah. But you know, you, at first, I remember just like the Cylons being just implacable. Like the first time we see a Cylon, which is the super hot Trisha Helfer, she kills a baby. You know? So that's pretty much yeah. a, a big sign right away that the Cylons are up to no good. Of course, you know, some people say it could have been merciful as she knew the world was about to be destroyed anyway. But, you know, it's. You know, at first, the silence really just seemed like this horrible, implacable enemy that is bent on destruction of all the people, no matter what. But then it changes, right? And and now, like, the silence, maybe, because there's, there's again, talk about factions, right? There's some silence that are not down with the destruction of, of all people. Right. Well, the other fascinating thing is that the the ones we're introduced to, and, and again, we're not here to talk about BSG you know, as a show. There are 12 models, and there are multiple copies of each model, but they believe they are human. They're not initially cognizant that they are machines. So they form personal romantic connections with individuals that are human. Yeah, and like they, that first scene when we realize boomer is again people i'm just like the spoilers are all over the place maybe we should put a warning if the warning wasn't strong enough as it was like but we find that boomer is a sideline i'll never forget like that scene where she's in the 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 ship and she just kind of looks up like holy crap like oh my god and i think i don't know if that's the first time but it's certainly one of the first times we realize the sidelines could pretty much be anyone well, and what I love, if you remember the scene with William Adama, and he's talking to Chief Tyrrell, who, as it turns out, is a Cylon. He's one of the one of the twelve. But at that point, he's having an affair with Boomer. So Tyrrell finds out what the hell I've been having an affair with a Cylon, and he's <laughs> horrified. But Adama says she was a Cylon, a machine. Is that what Boomer was, a machine, a thing? Tyrrell says, well, that's what she turned out to be. And he says, well, she was more than that to us. She was more than that to me. She was a vital living person aboard my ship for almost two years. 
She couldn't have been just a machine. Could you love a machine? And what I love about that quote is he's not saying, could you love a machine? He's not asking that of Tyrrell. He's saying it about himself that I don't care what I found out she is. I loved her as an individual and that acceptance on board his ship. When we've been through so much on on the uh, series at this point, fighting off the Cylons, but I I just love that reaction to that revelation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, I mean, that kind of boils down to the, essential part of this conflict of, of you know, what makes a human. I mean, maybe it's something as simple as that, you know, could yeah, we fall yeah. in love with a machine? Right. If, and you know, if we knew it was a machine versus if we didn't know it was a machine. I mean, I, I love my Blu-ray it, player, but you know, it's not that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the question that's being explored in humans. They know an individual is a synth, yet there seem to be feelings there. Now, the other thing in BSG, President Roslin, if you remember when we find out that, that Sharon Boomer becomes pregnant and Roslin orders it terminated, basically because she's f- frightened what might be the outcome now that certainly doesn't justify yeah you know any you know that decision but then she finds out that the, that the the fetal blood successfully cures her terminal cancer and it's like oh okay oh, okay we'll let this ride a little bit right right but she eventually gives birth to the child and you know the the colonial administration decides that it's too dangerous to let a hybrid child be raised by a Cylon mother. So there's still, uh, you know, that feeling, uh, it certainly could call it racism. I mean, that's what it is that, uh, you know, that there's something wrong here and we're not going to let that happen. So, you know, they fake the child's death and, and uh, place her with a human mother because only a human mother could raise this hybrid child correctly, which my gosh, when we look at, you know, things the human race has done, but you understand, yeah, yeah, right. you know, that maybe not in, such in the context. Idea. Yeah. Well, right. and then, you know, ultimately at the end, um, you know, it's the Cylons and the humans and prehistoric people like all jamming together to make us right. Right. And, and, and then when you see everything that happens to Sharon, she continues to help the Galactica, you know, in the, in survival mode. So, uh, again, um, yeah, and then finally, and, and you certainly can have a chance to bring bring back anything uh, that you didn't get a chance to bring up in, in a second. I, I mentioned Dark Matter and the android, and while she's sort of aware, it's not an awareness and it's it's not a search for self in in the sense that some of these other characters well well it is and and I, one of the things i love that i certainly feel is human about android is that desire to have a friend right and and I, I, again i think that's something that's just so fundamentally human and that i love that about it but right. what am i forgetting about uh, well, android well i just rem- you know how she could 
I can't remember what it was, but she could alter her. Like there was like some chip or something she could put in, and she could totally act like a human. You know, we'd see her with like her hair down, wearing a leather jacket and everything, and totally passed as a human um, instead of an android. So I, I, you know, I think that I, I don't think she ever got rid of that that thing that that could make her that could help her do that. Um, so I, you know, I think that that desire to be human is you know still you know part of her but yeah but certainly the the friendship part is is huge with uh with android and and her development as a character because you know no matter what she was like even when you thought she'd gone off the reservation like she was like completely loyal right and even though the crew always tells her we we consider you part of the crew we also know that that's not totally true. Yes, you're part of the crew, but you're not really one of us. You're not the right. same as us. Right. right. And yeah. and on the one hand, that's understandable, but still. So uh, anything else you want to bring up that uh, you got in your notes that you didn't get a chance to so, talk about? Uh, so there's just one thing that, and this is a line that Agnes said, and as if you can't tell, like, Agnes is definitely one of my favorite characters of humans. But... At the, the first episode of the second season, uh, apparently 150,000 people died because when the synths became conscious, they freaked out a little bit, right? They didn't know what was going on. And some the, the one guy uh, who's on the, the Drayden Commission, Dryden Commission, his young son was killed because his synth babysitter was giving him a bath, right? So there's some very there's some extreme tragedy that that happened with that, but Agnes says uh, I think it's Agnes maybe not it might have been Nisca but you know they mourn the the hundred fifty thousand who died. What about the millions of us who have died since then? And I and I think that is again part of that the human AI relationship is that you know the humans are you know mourning theirs and and they don't see. The, the sense as any kind of consciousness as any kind of you know of of life form deserving mourning or sympathy or anything at all um so i, I just thought that was like a cool line oh it is it's awesome so all right well let's take a listen to fred's feedback because he brought up uh an ai that i don't have a lot of experience with so let's hear what fred has to say about Star Trek The Next Generation. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcast episode 257. Okay, in the episode 256, you suggested uh, about the theme science fiction and the AI search for self, uh, that you would talk about Battlestar Galactica, Humans, Westworld, Dollhouse, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I did watch Battlestar Galactica, um, the 1978 series, in my teen years, but not so much beyond. Humans I only discovered very recently because you were mentioning that series in one of the Dollhouse podcasts. The only thing I watched is the season 1 trailer. Westward is a series I surely want to watch. I tried to watch... Uh, this season one before season two started last April, but I couldn't manage it. 
to get it all done. Of course, I did watch Dollhouse and season two even very recently, but I think I have said enough about that series in your 11 reason podcasts about that series. And I didn't watch the Sarah Connor Chronicles at all. Okay, the first uh, artificial intelligence looking for identity, looking for emotions, looking for being as human as possible, is of course data from Star Trek The Next Generation. In the episode uh, The Measure of a Man, Season 2, Episode 9, Commander Maddox wants to disassemble data in order to gain uh, the final piece of knowledge he needed. Data refused and resigned from Starfleet, but Maddox challenged his rights to do so, claiming that data is property, not a sentient life form. A position in initially supported by Captain Philippa uh, Lavoie of the Judge Advocate General's office. Captain Picard challenged this position, uh, stating that data is uh, arguable, arguably uh, a sentient being as defined by most of Maddox's own criteria. Ultimately, Captain Lavoie rules in favor of data. It sits there, looking at me, and it don't know what it is. This case has dealt with metaphysics, with questions best left to saints and philosophers. I am neither competent nor qualified to answer those. I've got to make a ruling to try to speak to the future. Is Data a machine? Yes. Is he property of Starfleet? No. We all have been dancing around the basic issue. Does Data have a soul? I don't know that he has. I don't know I have. But I have got to give him the freedom to explore that question himself. It is the ruling of the court that Lieutenant Commander Data has the freedom of choice. Data formally refuses to undergo Maddox's procedure after Lavoie's ruling is entered and Maddox, in turn, states he will see that Data's transfer orders are assigned. Surprisingly, however, Data encourages Maddox to continue his work. He claims to remain intrigued by some of what Maddox is, is proposing and suggests he may agree to the procedure at some point in the future. Once he is certain, Maddox can perform it safely. Captain Lavoie notes that Maddox uh, has no long, uh, should no longer uh, refer to Data as an it, but as an he, in, uh, inferring that he now ascribes to Data's personhood. Well, is this about your topic? I think it is. I have a second shorter one. The second series I would think of is Extant, a series Dave knows very well because he did a podcast called Dark Matter together with Mike about it, not to be confused with the TV series Dark Matter. I have to admit I got stuck at season 1 episode 12. So I have the season 1 finale and 13 season 2 episodes to go. I think it's a bit tricky to start talking about this uh, series myself because it did could cause me landing up with some terrible season 2 spoilers. 
The story is about Molly Woods, an astronaut assigned to a 13-month solo mission aboard a spaceship station. When she returns home to her husband John, who is a robotics engineer, he has created their son Ethan, a prototype android. Because of their infertility, John tried to resolve Molly's grief by creating Ethan. John is willing to accept Ethan as the real son, but Molly has problems with that. Gradually their feelings about Ethan turn around and Molly gets more and more attached to Ethan and becomes emotionally invested into him as a real son. When Ethan asks his mother about being different, she says, You may not be technically human, but you have more humanity than most of the people on this planet. Okay, that was all I had to contribute to this episode. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, I've seen maybe eight to ten episodes of Next Generation. I know you've probably seen them all, so I'll, I'll let you handle Fred's comments. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been a while, but as Fred talked about, I completely remember this episode. It's one of the best ones. It's, it's, it's a great, great one. Um, and like he said, those lines that the one captain says and what we had, I had echoed earlier in the podcast here, um, you know, that kind of nails it, right? Like, well, it's so it's tough for us to define what is human, what is life, because, well, we don't really know ourselves. We don't understand what it is about us. Like, is what what's this thing called a soul? What is that? Is, you know, it's, can you, well, people say you can measure it, right? It's 24 grams, but, um, you know, the, the point is, is that, you know, the, at, at least the, the, the freedom to be able to, to, to move on should, that he should have that freedom, whether, and he's not property because shows some signs of being able to think and to be able to make decisions. And so, um, yeah, that, that was a, a outstanding episode there of, uh, and, and I like the, uh, Fred's, uh, shout out about the original Battlestar. Do you ever watch the original Battlestar Galactica? Uh, I've seen a couple episodes. You're probably, it's, you're probably like, ah, this is kid stuff back then and everything. Yeah, uh, but much. when I was a kid, man, that, oh, it was, it was awesome. I, I had, you know, I still have models of, of the fighters and the sideline fighters and everything. And I love that show. It was, that was my favorite show when I was a kid. So um, thank you, Fred, for that, that shout out there. Um, so, yeah, but well, well, Fred, one thing I would say is, you know, you should definitely move uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles up to like next in your queue as, as far as what to watch That That show is great. You will not be disappointed. All right, Fred. Thanks, as always, for the feedback, and uh, we'll leave it there. That's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about anything going on in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we're going to be back next time. We just don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but we'll <laughs> post it in the Facebook group. Right. As soon as we figure and, it out. And we will see you next time. And I forgot what my lead-in is for you. Until then. Until then. I got nothing.